Blog Talk Radio. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. All right, guys, it's day 44 of Come Get Some. Boy, we have some fun on this show, some great guests, some great content. More coming up. Stay tuned at the end of the program to hear about the next guest I'm having on the show. It's going to be amazing. You're not going to want to miss it. Where we left off last week was with Brian Bihar, part two or three of our three-part conversation. It's been a blast. He's a hilarious guy, writer-producer of award-winning Full House we left off with the whole thing about him crying without any explanation. I do apologize for that. The show cut off as it ran long, uh, but we'll pick up right where we left off. But first, I would like to address the stench of disease and debauchery in the room. That's right. I'm going to discuss Scientology once again. As you know, I've already had Kathy Shankleberg on from Squeeze My Cans, her little tour she's got going on with this awesome story of hers, her awesome performance I'm hearing about. But, Leah Remini now got her show, and I try to get Leah Remini. Obviously, she hasn't been available to be on my show, so hopefully someday we'll get Leah on. But she's doing the uh, Scientology Aftermath on A&E. If you want to watch it, of course, it's quality programming that you have to see. It's eye-opening. It's, it's gut-wrenching. It comes on Tuesday nights A&E at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. If you can't watch it live, like sometimes I'm at work and I cannot, you can catch it streaming on A&E.com, I'm trying to say. Okay. So she puts on her show, and now out the woodwork come the people assigned by Scientology to say negative things. Now, I said, when I did the Kathy Schenkelberg interview, I said, I will have any active Scientologist. I'd like to have David Miscavige, but he's a coward. Any active Scientologist counter, I want to give a fair look at the other side. I want to be fair and balanced. I want to be honest, and, and I want to see both sides and if you come on my show, I don't care if I disagree with you, if I think you're a piece of crap. I will show you the utmost respect because you gave me your time for my show. And there's no reason I should treat you any other way but with respect and decency. So, here comes Leah Remini with her show. It's, it, it just hits you uh, right in the heart. Right away with Amy Scobie. Now, here's a woman that says at 14 years old she was a victim of statutory rape. In Scientology, and nobody would do anything about anything, and she was afraid to do anything about it. And now it's all these years later, and there's statutes of limitations and things like that. But statutory rape, let's, let's let that sink in first. Just the claim alone of statutory rape is not something to joke with. Just the claim itself, regardless how reliable the source is, you have to consider the possibility that something terrible has happened. But what do you have? You have right away these videos come out being pushed by John Alex Wood and Gemma Harris, two UK members of the Scientology, uh, Gem the Twit on Twitter, and John Alex Wood is John Alex Wood, or Uptone on Twitter. And uh, you, you can mess with them. They'll talk to you. They're trying to debunk. They're trying to deflect. Uh, but they'll say, hey, hey, thank you for talking to me. Thank you for reaching out. By the way, here's a video link. Who is AmyScoby.com? And, and I'll, I'll talk about that in a sec. So there's whoslayerremedy.com. It's it's not Scientology after math. It's Scientology after cash. 
She's out for uh, a buck. They're saying Leah Remini is looking more for money than anything else. That she claims she wasn't taking money. Here, here's the deal. This woman's made her living and career in front of the camera on TV. She left Scientology and she's trying to do something to change things and help people who are affected by Scientology. She thinks she's doing something important and she's dedicating everything to that. If the only project she's got going, as far as I know, it's the only thing she's got going right now is Scientology, Aftermath, and she's getting paid for it, I don't think anybody really gives a flying frick. I really don't. Then, you got, oh, by the way, you can look up Scientology, Aftermath, A&E, and it will pull up a fake website. Don't be fooled by it. Make sure you go to the appropriate website for that. Now, then there's the attack on Mike Rinder. And there's just so much to unpack with that. I don't have time to get into all these attack videos. I want to talk about the Amy Scobie video, because this is the most disturbing at all. For me, just because of the rape factor, just to begin with. You have a video up here. All three of these videos, by the way, and there's more videos. They're narrated by a woman with a voice that can only describe as, I don't want to say the word. Now, I don't want to say cunty, so I won't say cunty, because I don't like that word. But it's a very harsh, brash voice, like when a conservative talks about a liberal, or a liberal talks about a conservative, like they're bad words. And so everything's a bad word. Everything's, everything's with such disdain and such pain and agony. This person's so horrible. And they're attacking Amy's character. And it's very much like the attack on Leia Remini, where it's about she's a bad person, she can't be trusted. Messed up a lot, got sent down a lot, just kept failing and doing things wrong, just couldn't do anything competent. And it's a lot of bullshit. It's like when you're in school, if you got picked on. I had a little bit of that. When you're getting picked on and you say, why don't you like me? Why are you picking on me? And they go, I just don't like you. You're, you're, you're bad at stuff. You're not as good as I am at stuff. It's, it's really a bully mentality and you hear that a lot. But more than that, it's really a dismissal of what happened to Amy Scobie, or what's claimed to be happened to Amy Scobie. Even if, and you, I don't believe everything I see in this video and everything this lady with the harsh voice, brash voice says. Even if you believe it, if somebody's molested at 14 years old and never gets the proper treatment or proper uh, ability to do something about it or action taken for it, it's not that uncommon for them to act out in the ways described in that video. So again... Another backfire for Scientology. Here's the other side of it that really just pissed me off. And this is not meant, this is not meant to be insulting or embarrassing or humiliating for Amy Scooby. So I'm sorry, Amy, I'm not bringing it up for this reason. I'm bringing it up to make a very important point. What Scientology does when they come after people is very personal. And it's very, very psychological. And a little bit, even though they're stupid, <laughs> how, they, how they execute and how it really backfires, it's very cerebral. If you go to whoisamyscoby.com, before you even click on the video, the first thing you see is a photograph of Amy Scoby with a scowl and angry. To the left, again, sorry I have to bring this up, the most unflattering bikini photo of Amy Scoby on the beach you could possibly have picked out. By the way, there, I don't care if it's an attractive photo, the best body she's ever had in her life, the best shape she's ever been in. There's no appropriate reason to have a photo of Amy Scobie in a bikini on the beach as part of this thing. All that's meant to do is make shallow people with weak minds click on the link, see the scowl, 
see this unflattering photo and go, I don't like her very much. Let's see what this video is about. Now my mind's supposed to be already in that mindset. And it fails on so many levels because everybody sees through it. And that's my real point here. Because here's what happened. After going back and forth with John Wood, going back and forth with Jim, uh, Gemma Harris, here's it's a funny thing. You can ask them, is L. Ron Hubbard a maniac? And they'll debate and argue it. Is Scientology a religion? They'll debate and argue that. What do you think of Zenu? Silence. Silence. So, and then the whole the whole argument from Scientology is there is no disconnection. But then Gemma's saying there is this connection, but it's only in certain circumstances. She's trying to clean up and make something bad look better, but it, it, it doesn't because it's not supposed to exist at all, and you're saying it does. And, and then the fair game, which is actually in action, which you're seeing when you go on Twitter, if you look, it's still happening today if you folks want to look at it and go through Gem the Twit. It's back and forth, back and forth, going in circles. I don't know why people keep going with her. But the thing is, in the process of trying to defend against fair game, they are exercising fair game. You're seeing it in action. It's unfucking believable. Sorry for the language, folks. I try not to do that, but it's unfreaking believable. Now, on top of that, I get friended by somebody who's been going around following up John Wood, following up Jim the Twitch, probably one of those two or somebody else close to them, called Scientology UK. Brand new account created. It's a miracle. The official Twitter account of Scientology UK with no blue checkbox. Okay, whatever. Tries to friend me and be nice to me. Tries to recruit me, kind of. And then I talk about going on the show. He says, yes, I will. What he's doing is he's dangling that carrot, trying to keep me quiet because I'm trying to be nice to him to get him on the show. And he's doing what Scientologists do, you know. And he's in the process of being passively aggressive and, and, and really just pissing me off. It, I'm trying to be nice. Like I said, I'll be respectful when you come on the show. Everybody's welcome on my show. So, <laughs> he's like, I don't know, you don't seem very partial. You seem like you made your mind up. And you know what, Scientology UK and everybody else out there, yes, you're right. I've made my flipping mind up. And this is why. It has nothing to do with what John Sweeney ever said, what Mike Rinder ever said, what Leah... Remini ever said, what Amy Scobie ever said, or anybody else ever said, the reason I've made my mind up about Scientology and the reason why I probably can't be as impartial now as I would have been a week ago is because of you. Not just you, Scientology UK, because of Gemma Harris, because John Wood, because of the actions, because of the antics, and the things that Scientology does that I've seen. These guys, Leah, Leah Remini and, and, uh, and Mike Rinder and all these guys, Louis Thoreau, you know, Going Clear, these, these videos, these movies, all they've done is giving you guys a vehicle to show yourselves for who you really are. So there you go, Scientology. You did it to yourself. Look what you've done. Now go to your room, Scientology, and think about what you've done. And don't come out till you learn to be a grown adult and act like you know better. So we probably won't be seeing you for quite some time. The other part about this is people are wondering, why, Chris, are you so passionate about this? Have you been affected by it? Anyone you know, any loved one been affected by Scientology? And the answer is absolutely not. I, I, I have not had that. Here's the difference. People like myself and people like the people who've been in Scientology and got out and the people who first got in Scientology, the reason they got into it is because 
I care about somebody. That's what I have in common. I care about people. I say all the time, I preach in this show, don't just stand up for yourself. Stand up for others. Stand up for other causes because we stand together and we fall apart. And this is me, Karen. This is me standing up for anti-Scientologists, for anybody involved in a cult trying to get out. This is a safe place. You want to come talk? Talk here or anywhere else that you know is safe. Check out Amy Scobie's book. Check out Leah Remedy. Aftermath. Now, Amy Scobie declined to come on the show, uh, replying uh, with a statement she wanted to give. And I understand her not wanting to come on the show and speak. When an ex-Scientologist speaks, a sleazy detective gets his wings. Uh, but what she replied with is, I don't listen to the garbage. My statement is, the truth will continue to be revealed. And so it shall. Um, I wish you and your family nothing but the best and my deepest sympathies for your loss. And, uh, a brighter note, I got another part of Brian B.R. to put out here, so let's go ahead and get to that. Enjoy that. Uh, stay connected, and stay tuned after the show for a preview of my next guest. It's going to be a UFO witness, and, and you won't want to miss it. I'll give you more details at the end of the show. Stay tuned. Uh, and the fact that you're a sensitive guy, you, you cry at uh, movies and TV. Uh. I and everything. I, I always. <laughs> yeah. yeah I'm finally starting to embrace it rather than viewing it as a character defect. But I'm going to tell you right uh, now, I don't talk about this. And I don't even know if my wife and child realize this. I don't cry, but I get weepy at these movies and TV shows, too. Hmm. So you're not alone, man. And what it is, it's just basically, it, it doesn't make you. It doesn't make take you back to grade school carrying a, a Julia a lunchbox. But, um,. Julian, <laughs> it feels like it is, but it, <laughs> it, it's really no, just means just, you're in tune with the world. I mean, you care. It's actually it's part of your character to the point to where you write these articles, say, "I agree with just about everything you've been saying on Facebook and your Huffington Post about about the election." And there are people like myself who will speak, and people will want to come back at me and attack me. You say things, and although you do get attacked because there's just people out there like that, people are less likely and people are less willing to come back at you because you're so sincere, and you don't say anything that isn't true or doesn't really have anything behind it. And I think that's that's important to have that kind of voice out there, and well, I think it's good that you're doing that. Well, well thank you. I mean, I that's really sweet of you to say. I, you know, I, I certainly felt a lot of, you know, there there were still there were certainly. A lot of rage on both sides, and I, you know, I was the recipient of it. But you know, a lot of you know, and, and I'll be honest, like you know, I've been very depressed and very angry since since the election. And we don't have to get too much into specifics, but I'm just, you know, when we're you know when we're talking about people like, and I understand why certain people voted for you know for the president elect, but like a lot of people I know, I, it just disappoints me. Knowing that they supported someone who is not looking out for society's less fortunate, like that's basically what it boils down to for me. You know, I'm a I'm a, I'm a sensitive Jewish guy from the West Coast, who, okay. you know, you know, who's just committed to social justice. And when I see things like, you know, like a Muslim registry or a Muslim ban or deportation squads, flashbacks, with pre-existing conditions, <laughs> people with pre-existing conditions going to lose their health care. Or, you know, women's reproductive rights possibly taken away, or the ability of you know, for gay people to marry who they love. Like, 
anything that's going to like put at risk or at greater risk the people who are most vulnerable. That's the kind of stuff that upsets me to, to my core. You know, I'm not like a raging political ideologue, but I think just as a sensitive person who cares about those things, that's that's sort of where I'm. You know, I think I think that's what you're alluding to because I'm you know I'm coming at it from from a very emo kind of place. You right. know, that's, um, like you said, like that's, uh, I, sh- I should give a, a, one more, one more shout. It's not, not so much a shout out or a problem, but it's not, you'll at least see it's not a self-promotion. Um, coming up soon is uh, International uh, Suicide Survivors Day. And uh, you alluded to the tragedy in my, in my family. My father took his own life eight years ago and I'd never really spoken about it. And someone said, um, you know, hey, you know, Huffington Post has, do you have any, is there any, anything you want to write about? Like, and I think they thought I was going to write something about playing Twitter games. That's what a lot of people ended up writing about. And I was like, um, yeah, no, I think I do. And I wrote something very, which would I even at least attempted to be very honest about sort of the week following my father's passing. And, you know, there's a lot of like, a lot of funny stuff, I hope, sort of like, about family shenanigans and turmoil, but also it was also very real about you know the pain of losing someone you love and um, especially someone who I have looked up to as like arguably like the, the happiest person I know. So like and so like having sort of like your world pulled out from you and everything that you thought you believed became harder to believe. Um, so that's uh, that sort of informed most of the Huffington Post writing that I've done since then. I'm like, wow, if I was able to speak honestly about that and it didn't kill me, then I can talk about my depression, I can talk about turning 50, I can talk about, you know, battles with, you know, anxiety and overeating, and I can talk about, you know, sort of the vicissitudes of trying to be a writer in Hollywood in his 50s. So um, it just opened up a floodgate of emotion for me, and I've really... I'm shocked that I'm, I'm willing to put myself out there because, like I said, I went years where I couldn't even join Facebook because the thought of, like, people from high school making fun of me was honestly too crippling for me to even post or even put a picture up. And now I'm like, you know, hey, here's, a, you know, I was bullied. My dad my, my dad took his life, uh, you know, and, you know and, and things of that nature. So. Hey, oh, by the way, here's me hanging out with John Stamis. <laughs> you know? yeah, I did write about that. I mean, that was sort of the. I did. I, there, I did have one called, including the picture, in case anyone wants to see it. It says, "Does John Stamos make me look fat?" And it is a lot about, and it is a lot about sort of, uh, you know, sort of uh, battling with battling with weight issues in, in my uh, in, in my later years because uh, you know, right. I'm a high school cross country runner. I used to be able to eat whatever I wanted. God, I missed that too. Yeah, <laughs> Eating what I wanted. Like, in the, like, like, no joke. This summer, I actually got trapped in my own wetsuit in a in a beach bathroom. That's all the article. Um, yeah, so like, you know, I, I like I had to I had to I had to blow a drifter to get out of my wetsuit the first time. The second time was more just common courtesy, but like. I, I didn't actually blow a drifter, but I did get stuck in my wetsuit. If you ever want to feel... You heard it here first, guys. He oh. blew a drifter. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you ever want, to, ever want to feel helpless and, and humiliated, get too fat to get out of a wetsuit. 
That's funny, man. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and get on the 10 questions, man. I think there's people who will be inspired and encouraged by your words. So uh, keep doing what you're doing. Uh, right now, we're going to go to 10 questions here. Uh, question number one, think fast. I never talk about it, but I wrote. Is there anything you wrote that you never talk about? No, I talk about all of it, but uh, <laughs> I mean, there I mean, there are certain shows that no longer appear on my resume. Right. I was on the season one of I was on season one of Baby Bob, which you know was actually until Fuller House the most popular show we've ever been on. But like we had just come from Andy Richter, we went immediately to Baby Bob, and they were both on the same on the same lot. Um, and, and it was like if Brian Wilson had done Pet Sounds and Kokomo in the same session. You're like, oh my god, like like how are these the same business? But. Uh, uh, there's a show called Big Shots, a drama that I was on. I rarely talk about. That, okay. Uh, it was such a disaster. I'm, I'm surprised it wasn't a co-production between Warner Brothers and FEMA. But yeah, so there's certain <laughs> things that I there, there, yeah, there, there are shows I talk about. There are shows I talk about more often than others. Uh, but no, there, there's no, no secret. Question right. two. Yeah, number two. <laughs> we talked about old school references before. Millennials, am I right? Yeah, I'm not sure if that's a question, but I... I um, More of an agreement, yeah, something. You are right. <laughs> Millennial. No, I, I, try to, I, I still try to play every hashtag game that uh, that is about millennials. And, uh, you know, I, I fake it, you know, like, I fake it the best I can, but, like, let's be honest. I'm, you know, I'm turning 51 next month. Um, but, no, I'm not someone who bashes millennials. Um, there's always going to be the next generation of 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 creators and new voices and sure. and just accept that um, you know th- there's no point in fighting it like you know I I spent a lot of last night having a super long discussion with my son about like very deep Kanye album cuts <laughs> you know he's coming up soon and like, questions <laughs> you know and it's you know it's like you know it's like you know he you know he'd be embarrassed if like I pulled up to school and I'm like spitting rhyme out the window in front of his friends but like rather than trying to be like an old white person in America who's like you know who can't accept who can't accept that rap has sort of replaced rock as sort as mainstream music I'm like trying to say like okay well that this is what you know the clash was to me and accept it and try to and try to understand it rather than being a crotchety old get off my lawn Gran Torino guy fighting it go ahead there anything that, that, well, well, let me let me let me elaborate on that. For me, what, what, what really frustrates <laughs> what frustrates me is I know a lot of people in their mid twenties and thirties who don't get a lot of the references I make, and like, I'll reference like Abbott and Costello, and they'll say, "Who's that?" And I get mad because they go, like, "Well, that's from the sixties." I'm like, "Well, I wasn't born in the sixties either," <laughs> you know. So just you know, yeah, if you no, if no, you're no. trying to be funny no, and you want to be right? comedic, you should know the history. Believe me, my references are lost to everyone these days. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, I had an in my in my in the Huffington Post about suicide. I had an Abbott and Costello reference because, like, like I said, I, like I learned about my father's passing. From my mother called, and she's like, "Dad, you know, Dad just killed himself." And I kept thinking she was saying Matt because I had a brother named Matt, um, you know, and so he's like, "Dad." Like Matt, Dad, Matt. I'm like the worst moment in the history of my life, and it's coming to me in the midst of a 
you know, a really hacky Abbott and Costello phone bit. You know, yeah. I I will still you know like I don't I don't cater I don't cater to what I think people will get. Like I I right. hope they get it. You know. Yeah, but they I won't. At least read your. <laughs> I mean, in my in in the stand up I did last week. In the first minute, I had a re- references to Bjorn Borg and Alan Dershowitz, and it's like, yeah, good thing that you know I had packed the audience with people by age. But yeah, no, it, it, it is hard when it is hard when the cultural touchstones that I'm used to talking about are no longer things that people know. But you, you try, you do the best you can. The worst is if I try to sound contemporary, and you know, and and try to talk like a millennial because that that's just inauthentic. So, no, no, it just does come off wrong. Yeah. All right, question three. This is my fault. I dragged on a uh, quick thing fast. Question three. True or false? You believe America will survive Trump for four years if he potentially does minimal damage? Uh, Can of worms? I'll, I'll, give a hopeful, <laughs> I'll give a hopeful true. I'll give okay. A hopeful true. Is, That's but, all we know, have. With, with, with the caveat that you said does minimal damage so right. we're, we're assuming that we're assuming that many of the things that I had previously had had, had posed as uh, legitimate fears uh, don't come to pass and that somehow those were just things were red meat that he gave to the media you know, yeah. to the to, to the media and to the Republican base to to drive turnout my fear is that that's not the case but uh, let, let's 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 hope for the best and prepare for the worst yeah, I, I, I could talk about this for a while. We shouldn't. Uh, four, yeah, but I'm with no, you. I'm with you. Um, number four, I figure in 2020 it will be Trump, Kanye, and if I wanted to run myself, should I take a shot at it? Uh, we're talking about you? Yeah, should I go for president for in 2020? You want to go? You want to uh, you, you run together? No, I, no, I, <laughs> I could... Uh... I could be your secretary of comedy, or comedy or commerce. Um, yeah, <laughs> secretary of comedy. It. I mean, <laughs> no, it's just. I mean, we we've seen that uh, anyone you know, anyone can do it. That uh, media. We're, we are now in a new age where media personality certainly is as much qualification as anything other. So you uh, you definitely have my tepid backing. You see that? You see that? You, know, you see that? If something positive came out of Donald Trump becoming president, it proves that anyone can be your president someday, just like your mama told you. That's right. Anyone with anyone, anyone <laughs> who, who inherits a billion dollars can do anything in America. So true. So. Right, number five. Is there something that you've seen other men cry about that you don't get? Ooh. No, I mean, I'm so much more likely to cry than most men <laughs> that if... Uh, you know what I mean? That like that if that if that if the average guy is doing it, I'm probably in a ball somewhere. You know, you know, no more. I mean, I, you just only, if you play the opening strains of the Rudy soundtrack, I will cry just thinking about the ending. But uh, yeah, no, I think I'm. Uh, I think you know, average guys tend to cry at Field of Dreams and Rudy, and those uh, those I both get. Okay. Uh, yeah. number number six. Here's a silly one: lose a limb or life with a poop bag. I'm gonna need you to repeat that. Cause I don't know what you just said. <laughs> it was kind of crazy. Lose a limb you, you, or because yeah, you kind of you, you kind of threw in your uh, Central Florida accent. Did I? <laughs> Sorry. It was kind of more than I. Yeah, I was like, 
you know, there's a little I-4 corridor right there, so let's uh, <laughs> more time. My bad. I'll I go back. <laughs> yeah, no, that's no, okay. I would, uh, believe me, with the election, I think I can tell you a little about every county in America. <laughs> All, right. All right. Number six, would you rather lose a limb or life with a poop bag? Uh, that's a tough lose one. A limb. All right, next, next question. I think I, I think me too. I think me too, and I'd hate to lose a limb. Number seven. Yeah, I don't. Oh, let me ask you: Does is there a laugh track on Fuller House? Yes, it's uh, it's, a, it's taped in front of it's taped in front of an audience, but like all multi cameras that I've ever been on or, or that have ever existed, there is also there is also sweetening. But in many cases, we're actually trying to cut down the actual laugh spread or the applause spread. So, like, it's, you know, it's used, but it's not used, you know. It's, it's, used it's not a true laugh track. Sweetening. Right. And all I, right. There are very few shows that, I mean, most multi, almost all multi-cameras are taped in front of an audience, except for, I know, like, How I Met Your Mother was taped in sort of an unorthodox way. Okay. So we were on Cult Working, but go ahead. I will adjust my question based on that. I had to know that before I asked this next one. <laughs> Number seven. True, no, true. No, this is good. This is live podcasting, recorded. <laughs> true laugh tracks can kill shows. True or false? If it's just a true draft track, that's all they have. Oh, yes. Um, I'll give you an. I'll give you an, another example from a show I've been on. We were on a show, an animated show called Glenn Martin DDS that was uh, for Nick at Night about in, the, in 2008. And it was a really funny show. I mean, it, it has the problem of being uh, a cable, a Canadian cable claymation show. So, like anyone who anyone who would watch it, anyone who would watch claymation, it was too dirty for. And anyone <laughs> who would enjoy the comedy wouldn't watch claymation. But the show was like really funny and like in the vein of you know a Family Guy or a King of the Hill. And uh, at the very last second, the showrunner Michael Eisner, who used to run Disney, yeah. Um, made it made us put a laugh track on it because the last time he last time he had been involved in animation, TV animation was when he ran uh, ABC in the seventies and like he's like Scooby had a laugh track. Uh, you go back and watch. You go back well, and watch seventies seventies yeah. cartoons had laugh tracks on them, um, but yeah. in, the, in the modern world, like I think, so that really killed the show. Eventually, we were able to get rid of it, but but by then a very well written show. The damage was done because it's. It was very off-putting to have a an animated show in 2008 with a laugh track. I think it sounds horrible. There, there was a show recently on NBC. I won't say the name of it. I was a fa- I liked the comedy. I liked the cast. I thought it could have lasted a long time, but I, I couldn't sit through it because the laugh track was just driving me nuts. Wow. Yeah. No. I, I and I know there are shows where where it's very evident and sweet. That um, it doesn't bother me because it you know to me it means. You know, I grew. I, I did grow up at least with with a multicam. You know, you know. I. It, it means it was filmed in front of an audience, and so like most of the laughter is genuine. But uh, there's always the risk of too much, of of too much laugh track, and I know that's something that critics will. It's a reason that critics will never, sort of, judge, multi-camera comedies on their own merits. They're always now comparing them to single-camera mini movies. Mm-hmm. And judging them unfavorably, but um, yeah. that's just sort of a bias against this particular form. That said, the network stopped making them, even though the most popular one is always a multi-camera. I mean, 
the, the, the honest truth is, other than Modern Family, there's never been a single camera that was actually a genuine breakout hit. But they're cooler to make. Right. They're more interesting, but they are, they are, they are by and large not as popular. Like modern, even as big as Modern Family is, it was never as popular as uh, Big Bang or Two and a Half Men or Raymond or Friends or Seinfeld or Frasier. As we go back in time to yep. a genre that that they stopped making, and uh, regrettably, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. All right, uh, number eight. Some people say they're they're Jewish, they're black, they're African American, they're Spanish. What would you say you are, Brian? Because I, I have a feeling you'd give me a, a different kind of answer than that. Ooh. I mean, I, I think I mean Jewish is probably the first thing to come up, but I mean it, it's funny that even even within that, I am uh, I'm half Ashkenazi, half Sephardic, which is a which I didn't realize. I just thought my parents were my parents, but like. I guess to their parents was like it's truly considered an intermarriage. Those are like the two main branches of of Judaism. But like I've since I've learned as an adult, but like they are branches that, whether in America or Israel, have rarely mixed. One is sort of European Jews, and the other, um, my grandparents came from Turkey by way of Spain 500 years earlier. But um, so I I am a you know, I'm a, I'm a mix of a lot of things. You know, like some people think I'm Jewish, some people think I'm Middle Eastern. Everyone doesn't like me, but they all have different <laughs> reasons for. Uh... <laughs> oh yeah, but I've sort of, but I've, you know, but I, like, you know, I, growing up, I'm just like, oh, I'm just like a Jew from the valley, and now I'm like, I'm a lot more interested in like, you know, sort of the, like, a, like the weird, this very weird specific butt that I, that I actually am, and sort of like, you know, reading about and learning. You know the hit the family histories of you know of both sides. So, um, the, you know the fact that I'm a you know a Jew of Turkish heritage is a real anomaly well, compared to like everyone else I grew up with who's you know more likely to be you know German uh, German Russian or Polish Jews. Yeah. Uh, like I just said, everyone I knew growing up was Jewish, but that's a whole different thing. Until I went to Episcopalian school for six years <laughs> and had uh, six years of six years of chapel. So I have met non-Jews as well. Uh, anomaly aside, that's a good a good way to say, you know, we're all almost the majority of us in America or third or fourth generation Americans. So something to think about if you're all against all these immigrants out there, people. Anyway. Uh, yeah, we're, we're, all, no, we're, we're all immigrants. Now that you got me revved up. No, a lot of the people that I know, and including... Uh, and most disgusting to me, amongst you know, I know a lot of Jewish voters who are first-generation immigrants, and they tend to be the most pro-Trump, and to me, most paradoxically anti-immigrant. And that, uh, yeah, I, I, I just, I, I just, you know, I reserve a special place in hell for people who <laughs> who take advantage, who take advantage of of America. Who you know? Who use you know? Who use the opportunities and then want to shut the door behind them once once they've got there? That's just that to me is sort of anathema to the American way. Yeah, I, well, I think I you think can agree. Good. I think you can agree. I know I, I don't want people to think you're just bashing these these folks that, that, that support Trump because I know you don't bash everyone who supports Trump. Uh, the, the thing is, no, I don't think everybody's inherently evil that supports Trump, and I think uh, what it is, it's just as bad though almost. 
I heard the word used recently, indifference, and I think that is exactly what it was. Right. A lot of indifference. Listen, yeah, I agree with that, and I'm not, I'm not, I'm not attempting to bash it, you know anyone or anyone in particular. But you know, I mean, I understand. Like the, the sad, to me, the saddest part of of the election, in addition to a lot of other sad parts, is that the Democratic Party, a party that really exists to fight for the middle class exists to fight for the white working, you know, not, not the white working class, but just the working class, like, you know, that's been the major backbone and linchpin of the Democratic coalition dating back to the Al Smith election in 1928, and the fact that the Democrats had a message that no longer resonated with Rust Belt workers yeah. is, is, is on us. Mm-hmm. I'm like, yes, yeah. I understand that, had, that Trump had a very compelling appeal and, and it's with some ways coupled with racist overtones but the fact is that there are people in America who have real economic anxiety uh, and are struggling with it and, and, and one person talked to that anxiety and the Democrats did not in a way that was sufficient right. so uh, this is not a, you know about assigning blame you know in many ways it's about the Democrats need to take responsibility and remember what the function of their party was and and how it's really incumbent upon them to not be a party that's limited to sort of, you know, metropolitan coastal elites because then that just becomes a niche party in ways that we've had to battle against, you know, at different points in democratic history. Yeah. We're bringing a little... Uh, Bringing a little poly side of the show. Didn't, know that was happen. <laughs> Didn't expect it either. These are the kind of things that happen, you know. <laughs> you never know. You never... No, but I mean, I am a believer, and this is just my own personal theory, that all elections are referendums on how people cope with modernity, with changing times. And, like, there was a lot of change in the last year between having an African American in the White House, the legality of gay marriage, and just, you know globalization and technological changes and I'm not saying that turning to Trump is, is the right solution but it is an under, it is understandable that not everyone is as comfortable with the changes that America's faced and the speed with which they've come and sometimes we'll then retreat back to things mm. that feel more like how things used to be well, well so, that's so subjective though I mean I have a our response for that, but we can't really get too deep into it right now. <laughs> but uh, that's all right. It, it happened quickly, but it's been dragging on for decades. Anyway, or hundreds of years. Uh, number nine. <laughs> Finish this sentence, Brian. My next dream job would be. What do you, what do you want to do next? Do you want to be a stand-up regularly? Do you want to do you want to write for another hit TV show? What are you looking to do? Um. Oh. Um. I mean, I, I would love to write a book. I don't. Like, I've never had the courage to get past, like, page two, and I don't know whether it would be a memoir or a novel. But the, the one thing that's encouraged me about the last few years is I've done about five or six things that I was never able to do or get past. And, like, the thought of, you know, like, people say, like, oh, you, you're in a comedy writer room. Of course you did stand-up. It's like, <laughs> until this past year, I had not done stand-up since senior year of college, and that was 1988. You know, so like close. It took me close to 30 years to get the courage to stand with a microphone and try to have my own voice. Even though I tell jokes for a living, the the thought of actually performing as myself 
and not pitching jokes on someone else's show was so frightening. And it's just something that I felt I had to get over and, and just by virtue of, like, forcing myself to do it, now I'm like, oh, maybe there are other things right. I'm afraid of that, I, that, I, that I'll be willing to try. I hope so. Right. It's a very common thing. I like the saying, do what you fear. Uh, number 10. Good. Good one, yes. Yeah. Number 10, I ask you uh, a question I ask everybody. It's very self-serving, by the way, so sorry about that. But uh, what do you think of the host of Come Get Some? Oh, my God, this guy. <laughs> Look at him. He's just. Who, are you related to me? Like just begging, begging for approval. <laughs> is that what it's, is that is that how it comes off? I should stop doing this then. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, no, I love it. I love. Uh, I love just the naked plea for for affection. <laughs> you, you might that. Like maybe like you might maybe you should be in the writers room and you know love me. Uh, I'm sorry. I was, I was about to do this soliloquy from Grey's Anatomy. Love me, pick me, choose me. But that would be a little that would be a little creepy for a grown man to know uh, Meredith's soliloquy from uh, from Grey's Anatomy, and yet I just did it. So you, you never you never know what you're going to get here. Right? Uh, no, the, the host is the host is wonderful. I it feel it, it felt just like a you know like a really lovely conversation. Um, I was really nervous about doing this. I did not sleep. Very well last night, knowing that. Uh, really. Yeah, I, I, the nerves, the nerves never really entirely go away. Like. Right. Um, no, that's true. Just anything, anything that's sort of out of my comfort zone, anything that like, where I know I'm going to be on the spot. Like you know, like even if I have to make a phone call, for you know, to get notes on a on a TV script, like just the, not knowing what's coming. Is uh, is pretty anxiety provoking for me. So, you, you know, like I was good, like I was pretty good when we were just, you know, freestyling, and then like the ten questions became so formal. I was like, oh, I, I don't know what, what's he gonna say. So, I'm like, you know, I'm like grabbing through my medicine kit, like you know, like there's gotta be a Lexapro somewhere. But you know, I think I ate a tub of macaroni salad just as we started. But no, no, I, I would never eat on the air. So. That would, that would push down my feelings of food while we're talking. That wouldn't be very seemly, would it? No, not at all. I'm right. big, guys. I, I, I know everyone's a pet now imagining, like, somebody, you know, like, <laughs> enormous, but... Oh, uh, man. Well, you're going to be... Believe me, I'm not thin either. My do- I, I went to my doctor recently, and he was like, holy shit, did you get that? <laughs> like, I've had that one. This was an usher. <laughs> this was an, uh, this was an usher giving me a diagnosis. This was a guy who was equally fat to me. Oh, like, see, that's you know, not cool. It, yeah, so, like, you, you never hear a doctor say, like, holy shit, that's a lot of shinkles. So, like, <laughs> to make a doctor actually cuss, like, motherfucker, that's a, those are low platelets. You know, like, you never hear that. <laughs> right. So, it, it seems as though I, uh, I, 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 enge- I engender this in people, so, uh, <laughs> but... So I, I could I could stand to lose a little weight, but the, nobody worry. I did not eat macaroni salad on the air. <laughs> All right, Brian. Well, I want to tell you, man, you have been great. You are an awesome guest. You have don't the. End, don't, we can't end on the, don't end on the macaroni salad, please. <laughs> macaroni salad. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Thank you. Really, thank you for having me. I know we've uh, we've talked about doing this for for a long time, and uh, you've been a you know a good friend to me on all forms of social media, which is weird, because, like, 
like you said, we've never spoken, but I feel like I know you very well, and like you're able, you know, there are all different ways of finding yeah. friendships and community and like, you know, like-minded people out there, and that and that's uh, that, again, that's been a, that's been a good thing is you you're like, oh, there's people who I never would have had any contact with before, and now you know. And, and they're, you know, and they're good folks, and I—that's uh, that's been very rewarding too. I also value that very much, and, and I appreciate you saying that. Uh, I think anybody who who interacts with you appreciates that as well. Um, I'm gonna go ahead and wrap this up, Brian. You've been great. You are an awesome, awesome guest. You, you get the distinction of being one of my few three-parters. I'm gonna do this in three parts, and uh, oh my so people will get that three three weeks of great great stuff from you. <laughs> Oh my goodness! Oh wow! It's like a cliffhanger. I feel like uh, I feel like Fonzie jumping over the shark, but hopefully, hopefully, hopefully <laughs> jump in the maybe, shark. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe Fonzie jumping over, crashing into uh, Arnold's chicken stand. That one's a that one has a little less of a negative connotation. Yeah, I'll explain to the I'll explain to the millennials later with that with that references. Uh, oh, <laughs> God, no, there I go! There I go! Yeah, with the, contemporary Happy Days references. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, Brian, um, thank you so much. Stay on the line. I want to ask you a question off the air. Uh, but uh, thank you for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. No, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Really have a great time. Thanks. No problem. Take care. Okay, so that was Brian Bihar. What a great guy. Thank you so much for coming. Uh, Brian, you make uh, this show so great, and you are a great presence. Uh, first uh, podcast I believe you've done, and you nailed it and uh, next week Donna Hare UFO experiencer she is a member of C-SETI Project Disclosure she was there when Apollo 13 re-entered the atmosphere she describes that scene it was a nice surprise you're going to hear a lot of great stuff it's almost like a six-parter so please get back to me let me know if you don't want me to drag this out for five shows if you want like a Thursday Friday show for the next couple weeks to not drag it out I will do that for you my listeners for the six call it and uh, just get back to me. Let me know that either one at Miami Six Man at CGS here, or you can at H E R E, or you can email me CGS here at gmail dot com. All right, that about sums it up. Stay connected. See you next week. I'm getting down to the sum of this. The sum of that. The sum of everything. Come on, come on, yeah.